NFTs, non-fungible tokens. What in the world are they? You asked, I got the answer. This episode's a good one. Let's hop into it. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Jason, and you're tuned into the Sports Business Essentials Podcast. Whew, got a ton of requests for this, so I'm pumped to dive into this one. NFTs. Jack Dorsey selling his first tweet as an NFT for $2.9 million. Or what about NBA Top Shot selling mini highlights for hundreds of thousands of dollars? Board Ape Yacht Club. What's the deal? Let's take it back to the basics. In order to understand what's been going on, you need to really understand what all of this means. Today, I'm covering the basics of NFTs. Let's start by breaking down those ever-popular three letters. What does NFT stand for? NFT stands for non-fungible token. Okay, Jason, I'm equally as confused as I was before. What the hell does fungible mean? I got you. The word fungible is an adjective meaning replaceable by another identical item or mutually interchangeable. So if fungible means replaceable, wouldn't that mean non-fungible means non-replaceable? Makes sense, right? Let me give you an example. Let's say you wanted to buy a black trucker hat. If you went to an online store for this example, let's say Brixton, and paid $25, you wouldn't care which specific one they sent you, right? Brixton produces hundreds and thousands of black trucker hats and sends them to, sends them to stores, buyers, etc. As long as you get a hat that matches what you ordered, that's all you really care about, right? That hat is fungible, it's replaceable. As long as you get the one that's identical to the rest, it's worth the same to you. It's replaceable, it's fungible. The one that you received and the hundreds of thousands of others produced are interchangeable. You notice I keep reiterating this point. I'm doing this because it's important, okay? Now, let's talk about one specific black Brixton trucker hat that I've had for a really long time. If you know me, you know I'm always wearing my black Brixton trucker. It's almost a staple in my wardrobe. In fact, I'm wearing it right now. And the one I'm wearing is the original. To me, it holds a ton of value. I wear it all the time. I love the way it's formed in my head shape, all that good stuff, right? To me, this hat is non-replaceable. If I went on Brixton's website right now and ordered the same model of hat, it would not be this exact hat. This hat is non-fungible. It is the only one like this in existence. It has emotional value tied to it, it has a different level of significance. It is very valuable because it is very scarce. It's the only one in existence. There's only one of it in the world. Again, I'm harping on this point because it's, it's really important to understand. Everything in this world, or at least in the economy, I'll say, is either fungible or non-fungible. It's replaceable or non-replaceable. A box of pens is fungible, right? You just want some regular pens that can be replaced very easily. The Mona Lisa, on the other hand, is non-fungible. There's only one authentic piece that exists in the world. As you can imagine, non-fungible things are intrinsically more valuable than fungible things just by their nature. Okay, so that explains the first half of NFTs, the NF, right? So let's get into the T, or token. In order to effectively define what a token means in this scenario, I'm going to have to explain the blockchain. <laughs> And if you're listening to this, chances are you've heard the term blockchain or blockchain technology thrown around, especially 
especially if you're into crypto. Now, we're not going to get too deep into crypto on this episode as I'm trying to keep it super high level and really easily digestible, but here's my effort to explain the blockchain in the most concise way possible. So let's say my friend John is having a yard sale and at this yard sale, I find two books that I want to buy off him. John charges me $8 for these two books. I'm not paying cash. I'm using my debit card and John has one of those little square things that can process cards. You know, like it's 2022 people. I'm sure you've seen this before. Anyways, as soon as I swipe my card, that sends a message to my bank that says, Hey, Wells Fargo, Jason is trying to spend $8 on books and that $8 needs to be sent to John's bank account. This is the core of what banks do all day, every day, right? Like they monitor all the transactions from their users. They send money to other banks and keep track of all the money that's gone in and out of your account. So uh, basically at the end of the day, they can give you a balance. Uh, you know, they can say based on all the money that you brought in and all the money that you spent, you have $100 in your bank account. So when the request comes in and the request is to send $8 to John, they say, all right, based on all these transactions, you have $100 in your account. Yeah, you know, you have enough to send to John. Boom, transaction approved. And the same thing happens to John's account from his bank too, right? So they're like, okay, he had $20 in his account. Jason just sent him eight. Now he has 28. Make sense? Okay. Now, so this is a whole topic for another day, but this is where people have problems with banks. The more time goes by, the less we actually use physical cash, the more and more your money just becomes like a number. We're not like the caveman where we bartered with physical things like rocks or, or other things. All of our money is handled and accounted for by banks. So it becomes extremely important that banks are doing this correctly, right? Like I said, I don't need to get in the history of how banks have historically you know, messed things up for people, but I will say as time has gone on, people have begun to think like, hey, how can we keep track of all these transactions without the banks, you know, without having to place our trust into a middleman? And what do you get when you have some super, super creative people out there that put their brains together? You get a concept we call the blockchain. Now, in order to understand the blockchain, you have to first understand why the blockchain was created. The blockchain was created to solve something that is called the double spend problem. Here's an example from Anthony Pompliano that I really like to help illustrate what the double spend problem is. Let's say I put out music, okay? I put it out in a digital format or a music file. I then give the music file to my friend Mary. Mary listens to it and she's like, yo, this is fire, boom. Shares it with, shares the music file with her friends. When she clicks send to send the file to her friends, the software, the computer software creates a copy. So Mary and her friends can both listen to my song, but no one really knows who has the original copy of the song. All they know is that they both have a music file. That's fine when it's music, it's fine when it's pictures or something where scarcity doesn't matter. But when you're talking about money, something that is theoretically scarce, if I have a digital dollar and I say, hey, Paul, send me a dollar and you send it to me, now we both have a dollar, we don't know who has the real and who has the copy. That's a problem, right? So over the years, people have tried to create digital currencies, but they run into this problem where they can't tell which file, which dollar is real and which is a counterfeit. So that's what is called a double spend problem. All right, make sense? You guys still with me? Uh, now here's an example to help understand how the blockchain works. So 
uh, say four people sit down to play Monopoly. If you know the rules of Monopoly, there's a bank, there's a players with all their money sitting out in front of them, and there's the board, right? Uh, the reason why Monopoly works so well is because as you're doing transactions, you can see the player hand over the money to each other. You don't need an extra person to stand over the game and act as like a banker or a centralized entity who does all the transactions because there's full transparency in front of you, right? So you don't have to worry about trusting someone to account for the transactions accurately. You can all validate it since it's all public, you see? So what the blockchain is, if we're using that monopoly example, I write down a piece, I write down on a piece of paper all the transactions that have occurred, like a ledger. But let's say every 10 minutes that we play the game, I tear off that piece of paper and put it to the side. Every 10 minutes, um, doing the same and stacking them on top of each other. So 60 minutes go by, we're playing for 60 minutes, six pieces of paper on top of each other. These are all the transactions that have happened. So let's say after 60 minutes, someone says, hey, you know what? I think you owe me 20 bucks. They can go back to the stack of papers and look and see, okay, no, 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 I actually don't owe you 20 bucks because you can see at minute 43, this is when I gave you the $20. So this is essentially what the blockchain does. But instead of it being on paper, it takes all the transactions that happen on a network, puts it into a block, and as long as 51% of the people on the network validate it, they chain the block of transactions to the last one, and it goes all the way back to the beginning of when this network started. The blockchain does the same accounting that the banks were doing, but instead of doing this privately behind the bank's closed doors and within our private accounts, all of the, all of the transactions are posted publicly on the internet. This is what people mean when they say the blockchain is decentralized. What I just described that the banks do is centralized because the bank is a central entity that controls the flow of money. In the blockchain, it's not controlled by any one person or entity. It's run by millions and millions and millions of users across the world. That makes it damn near impossible to hack or change or cheat the system of recording transactions. So the fancy definition of what a blockchain is, is it's a digitally distributed, decentralized public ledger of all transactions that exist across the network. In less fancy words, it's a way to verify currency transactions. Okay, so we got that squared away, right? You're probably thinking, all right, so what is a token? You still haven't told me that yet. A token is just a very internet-y word for an asset. So NFTs just started going mainstream, or, or when NFTs just started going mainstream, us regular people were sitting and seeing all of these transactions that made no sense on the surface, right? An international businessman paid millions of dollars worth of digital coins to Jack Dorsey for the rights to own his first tweet. What? Like, what, what is he doing? All the blockchain cares about is if that businessman actually had enough coins to approve the transaction. When the transaction is approved, it goes on the public record for anyone to see. Instead of a bank debiting someone's account in exchange for two books, this businessman trades X amount of digital currency for a token, or in this case, Jack Dorsey's tweet. Because the tweet is an original, it cannot be replicated. It is a non-fungible token. Boom! Man, that feels good. Does that make sense, guys? NFTs can take the form of anything. You're seeing music being minted as an NFT, virtual memorabilia, artwork, images of physical items, and more. Once an NFT is minted or authenticated on the blockchain, every transaction from transfers or sales is recorded 
on that chain in that network. And every time it is sold in perpetuity, the original owner gets 10% royalties on all sales. NFTs can be bought in a bunch of different ways, but the most popular are obviously Ethereum, Bitcoin, and in some cases, US dollars and other cryptocurrencies. A really relevant example of this uh, in the sports industry is NBA Top Shot. You know, the team over there caught on to this really, really early, and they're minting highlights of the top NBA moments and selling them as NFTs, a concept that they are calling the future of fandom. If you're an NBA fan, who's your favorite player? If it's LeBron, could you imagine owning the block from the Golden State Final Series? If it's Kobe, how dope would it be to own the clip of him scoring his 81st point against the Raptors? People are buying into this idea and running wild with it. Now, if you're like a lot of people, you're thinking, okay, I'm not huge into fandom like that. Why else are NFTs so valuable? If you know anything about human psychology, you understand that scarcity and group validation really, really gets people going. At its core, that's exactly what NFTs are about. Because NFTs are generally one of a kind and because a blockchain can authenticate them, they create a form of digital scarcity. NFTs allow for the owner, buyer to own the original item. You hear all the time, oh, I can just screenshot it. Well, they cannot prove that they own the original, rendering it less valuable than the, than, than the original. Um, an example I've heard that I really like is this. Think of an NFT like a plot of land on this earth. You can own a piece of land, and although other pieces of land might look the same or even have the same shape, every inch on this earth has its own specific latitudinal and longitudinal coordinates on a map. 100 square feet in New York City is not the, worth the same as 100 square feet in Montana. Now, what NFTs have done and what Web3 has done is made it so easy for uh, creatives to create own and sell digital content. Gone are the days of middlemen gatekeeping these creatives. They have full control on the design, the number of versions, the initial price, and more. Of course, with that, there's so many other things to consider, like what's the underlying value behind the creator of the NFT? An NFT created by Tom Brady is gonna be initially worth a lot more than an NFT created by uh, your friendly neighborhood high school quarterback. You know what I mean? Like what is the potential of the value of the nft like stocks do you think the value of this will go up in the future do you think it's going to go down in the future w what is the potential value of this nft uh, what's the perception of the buyer you know going back to the nba top shot example an nft of lebron's block could be worth a lot more to a diehard cleveland sports fan than it is to me or you or even a golden state warriors fan you know um and as always, you know, what is the market value? What are other pieces from the same creator selling for? What are similar NFTs selling for? Things of that sort. All pretty interesting stuff, right? Now, listen, guys, this episode is starting to get a bit long, and I could keep going forever, going deeper and deeper into the weeds about NFTs and crypto, but I really hope this served as a solid high-level intro for those of you who are interested. That's it for me today, guys. I hope you enjoyed and learned something new today. If you found that interesting, Get at me with your feedback. You know, I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on NFTs? Do you own any? Um, are you going to go into get into NFTs? Do you have any crypto? Things like that. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Jason Lay on all platforms. Let's connect.